morning. I'm Jim Jeffrey, one of the pastors here at Chapel Point. Um, have you noticed that it's construction season in West Michigan? I mean, there's warning signs all over the place, detours, road closed. I'm looking for the sign that says, you can't get there from here. In, uh, when we lived in New York and Pennsylvania, um, we used to say that we only had two seasons. One was winter, and the other was orange barrels. Um, my wife and I recently were back in um, Pennsylvania, New York, and we stayed in the Binghamton, New York area because it was central to family. We were there primarily to celebrate my mom's 90th birthday. It was a great time. And while we were there, we noticed that a certain major uh, construction project has been going on for five years. Uh, Interstate 81 that goes actually from Lake Ontario down to Virginia through Syracuse and Binghamton. And that's one of the major roads. There's another road that's now being called um, I-86 that goes from New York City to Erie, Pennsylvania. Another one that starts in Binghamton and goes to Albany, New York. And all of those roads come together in this one intersection. And it has been torn up for five years. Matter of fact, as we were driving through, Bert said, wow, that's really dangerous. And there's a road that they're building that actually just stops out in the sky. I mean, if they didn't have a warning sign, you'd be in the river. Pretty, pretty bad stuff. Warning signs are important because they help us be, pay attention to the dangers that are there. In the book of James, we have some of those kind of warning signs. James is a letter written to uh, Jewish believers, but it also is wisdom literature, like Proverbs. And there's some warnings there for us, some things that we need to kind of pay attention to and, and give attention to. And, and in the book of James, there's three passages that warn us about riches. Riches, wealth. That's an interesting topic to deal with in the church today because we have these extremes within evangelical Christianity. One extreme is the prosperity gospel, saying, if God's blessing you, you will be rich. And there's another extreme that says, if you're rich, you are suspect. I want to just suggest to you, neither of those represents the full biblical teaching, which is much more complicated than that. And, and James addresses this issue very clearly, talking about the dangers of riches. Just to be able to help you understand something, in the ancient world, the economy was very different than our economy today, where we have a rather large, what we call middle class. In the biblical world, you had wealthy people, many had inherited wealth or came to wealth through power, and they were often landowners. And the people that worked the fields were incredibly poor. They lived from hand to mouth. In other words, their daily pay is how they got food to live the next day. And you had tradesmen that lived a little bit better than that, but you basically had two classes, all right? You need to understand that to understand what James is going to address. The other thing you need to understand, in the Bible, you do have people who were wealthy that were godly. If you're one of those people that think, well, if you have wealth, you can't be spiritual, think about this for a minute. Job was described as one of the wealthiest men in the world in his time. Now, his wealth was measured by his herds and his cattle and his sheep and his goats. He lost all of it, and then God gave it back to him. Uh, the patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, were very wealthy. Abraham, only real estate holdings, was a graveyard. 
but he had incredible wealth in flocks and herds. And he was highly respected by the people around him. Matter of fact, so much wealth that he and Lot couldn't stay together in the same area. You think about people like uh, Moses, who was living in wealth and affluence for 40 years before he fled Egypt. Or Joseph, who from being a slave came into incredible power and wealth in the court of Pharaoh. Um, Boaz, Ruth's husband, a tremendously wealthy landowner. Uh, David became very wealthy. His wealth is described for us in the Bible. His son Solomon became the wealthiest king in all of Israel. And you look at that um, in the New Testament. You have people like um, Zacchaeus, who had gotten his wealth through ill-gotten uh, gain, but when he came to Christ, gave it away. Joseph of Arimathea, in whose tomb Jesus was laid, was a man of wealth. Barnabas, wealthy man who used his wealth to encourage and bless other people. And you also have Lydia, the seller of purple, who had such a big home that she could house a whole church in it. So if you think that people of wealth are therefore suspect, you have a problem with the Bible about that. And yet, the Bible gives us some warnings about the dangers of wealth. I want to say to you, Wealth can be a blessing, and it also can be very dangerous. I have a friend in another state who is incredibly wealthy. God has entrusted to him a stewardship of a great deal of money. And one day he was talking to a man who was from a different ethnic background, and he was asking him, what's it like to be, and then mention his ethnicity, in America? The guy responded. But then the guy turned the question back to him and said, what's it like to be rich? To which my friend thought for a minute, and he said, it's complicated. And some of you say, well, I'd like to have that complication. I want to tell you, you may not want to when you realize some of the challenges. Think about the teachings of Jesus about wealth. In the parable of the soils, Jesus talked about the deceitfulness of riches choked the word of God. Interesting. He talked about to the rich young ruler who came to him and saying, what do I need to do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said, keep the commandments. He said, I've kept all of them. He said, go sell everything that you have. And the man went away sorrowing. And Jesus said, it's very hard for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. Because, see, this man hadn't kept all the commandments. He had made money his idol. He was worshiping money. And Jesus knew it and saw his heart. Jesus said, woe to those who are rich, for you, will you have received your consolation. There's dangers inherent with riches, Jesus is saying. Think about the Proverbs. Uh, three times in the Proverbs it says riches can be a blessing from God, but it's also said in Proverbs, in Proverbs 11:6, 6, that, it, that ruthless men hold on to riches. So there's a danger. Riches can make themselves wings, Proverbs says, and they fly away like an eagle towards heaven. Maybe you look at that with the smoke coming out of your checkbook. Um, Proverbs 27, 4 says, riches are not forever. So here's what I want you to understand. It's a complicated subject. Being rich is not necessarily meaning you're compromising Scripture. But it's not always a blessing from God, and God hasn't promised that every person is going to be rich. We need to think about this biblically. Now, James, three times in this book talks about riches. And I want you to take your Bibles and turn with me to James chapter 1, verse 9 through 11, and the first of these warning sign passages about riches. Let's read the text, James 1, 9 through 11. 
Let the lowly or the humble brother, the one who is poor, boast in his exaltation. In other words, if you're poor, remember you're rich in Christ. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians 9 that God made him to be, to be, to be poor for us because, so that we, through his riches, may be made wealthy in his gospel and through his grace. The grace of God means that, the, that those who are poor, if they're poor in spirit, are actually made rich in Christ. And he's saying, remember, lowly brother, boast in your exaltation. And the rich, he said, boast in your humiliation. This is paradoxical, the way he's giving this warning. He said, if you're rich, remember to humble yourself before God. Remember the importance of acknowledging that everything you are and everything you had came from God. And if you are wealthy, he said, rejoice that you are humbled before God. Because one of the inherent dangers in the Bible of riches is pride and self-sufficiency and claiming credit for what God has given. He said, listen, if you're rich, be warned about pride and rejoice in your humiliation. And he, he then uses this illustration from nature. And by the way, as Jesus used all kinds of illustrations from nature, you're going to find when you read through the book of James, many, many metaphors where he uses nature to teach truth. And this is one of them. He said, because like a flower of the grass, he will pass away. For the sun rises with a scorching heat and withers the grass, its flower falls and its beauty perishes. So also will the rich man fade away in the midst of his pursuits. So he takes an illustration from nature. Now remember that Israel, much of Israel, not all of it, but much of it was an arid area. And so you would, you would have grass that would grow, and in the scorching heat of the sun it would wither. There sometimes would be flowers on that grass, and they would wither quickly and blow away. And James is using that as a metaphor to remind the rich to humble themselves before God. And saying, listen, riches can be here today and gone tomorrow. The glory, the rich man will fade away in the midst of his achievements, his pursuits. So for those, and by the way, just to put it in perspective, every person in this room is wealthy by the world standards. If I could take you to India, if I could take you to South Africa, if I could take you to Peru, I could take you almost any place in the world other than Western Europe, and you'd find out that even though you don't think you are rich, you are extremely wealthy by the world's standards. And he's reminding us here that the warning is, don't compare yourself to others. If you are not, don't consider yourself wealth, don't compare yourself to that rich person and say, if only I had that. My friend, if it takes that to satisfy you, you won't be satisfied. And if you're rich, don't look down on the person that doesn't have what you have and saying, you know, if they just did things my way, they'd be rich. Careful. Walk in humility. Walk in humility. Remember that the God of eternity, the one who said, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, The one who is the I am that I am is the source of everything that you and I have. Don't boast in your riches. Walk humbly. Don't compare yourself to other people. When you compare yourself to someone who has more, you will be discontent. When you compare yourself to someone who has less, 
you will be proud and arrogant. That's a warning. Whether you don't consider yourself wealthy or you do consider yourself wealthy, don't compare yourself to someone else. If I could just have that car, if I could have that house, if I could have that boat, if I could have, go on that vacation, if I could wear that label on my clothing, my friend, if it takes any of that to make you content, you will never be satisfied. And if in wealth you begin to look down your nose at someone else, you are in a very spiritually dangerous place, and God may take everything away in order to humble you and remind you that we need to look at things from an eternal perspective, an eternal perspective. So the first warning, don't compare yourself to others. Don't compare yourself to others. I want you to um, look with me at the um, James chapter 2, the second of these warnings. James chapter 2. James says, my brothers, so he's writing to Christians, and, and sometimes in James you have to pay attention who he's talking to. In this particular passage, he's clearly writing to Christians because he talks, calls them brothers more than once. And the challenges show no partiality or no favoritism. As you hold the faith, look at this, our Lord Jesus Christ, and notice the title he gives to Jesus. It's very important to the, to the teaching here. He is the Lord of glory. So stop for a minute and think about that. He says, you hold on to your faith in Jesus Christ, and he gives his full title, Lord, Master, King, Jesus, Savior of Jehovah, and Christ, the Anointed One, who is prophet, priest, and king. And then he adds this, he's the Lord of glory. He said, remember who Jesus is. And as he's going to give this dramatization and what follows, he wants you to keep in mind who Jesus is. Very, very key. He said, for if a man wearing a gold ring and fine clothing comes into your assembly, he, gets, he comes into the church, and also you have a poor man in shabby clothing also comes in. Do you remember Jesus told a story like this where he talks about the Pharisee and the publican both coming into the temple? James now tells, takes that, a story of two men. One comes in wearing gold jewelry and really ornamented garments that show that he had great wealth. Another man comes in and he is clearly poor and he has shabby rags, dirty garments. What happens? If you pay attention to the one who wears the fine clothing, the wealthy man, and say, uh, you sit here in a good place, best seat in the house. But you say to the poor man, uh, we're not even going to give you a chair, you just stand over there against the wall. Or sit down on my feet, you can sit at the, on the floor. Jesus said, have you not then made distinctions among yourselves? Have you not shown preference and favoritism? And haven't you become judges of the value and worth of another person with evil thoughts? It's a very strong statement. When we judge people based on economics rather than on godliness, we're being warned that that is actually placing ourselves in the place of judgment, forgetting that the Lord Jesus Christ is the Lord of glory. It's a very severe warning he's giving here. Don't you make distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts. He says, listen, my beloved brothers, he's writing to Christians. Has not God chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom which he had promised to those who loved him? 
most of the people who became believers in the first centuries were not people of affluence. And yet, they became rich in Christ. Interesting, Paul in 1 Corinthians writes about this in this very interesting passage. He said in 1 Corinthians 1, 26 to 31, that there are not many noble among you, not many wise. And he reminded them that, it's in, that in Christ we find our identity, in Christ we find our riches, for Christ is our redeemer, Christ is our sanctifier, Christ is our wisdom. And he's reminding us of that here. He said, listen, hasn't God chosen those that are poor in the world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom which he's promised to them that love him? The best is yet to come. But he says, you have dishonored the poor man. You've shown to him disrespect. In other words, you are not treating him as an as a image bearer of God. You are not treating him as a brother in Christ. You aren't respecting him as someone for whom Christ died. You've dishonored him. And then he reminds them that he's not writing now about believers who are rich. He says, are not the rich the ones who oppress you? These were Jews who were persecuting Jewish Christians. And the ones who drag you into the courts, it's the wealthy that were doing that. Are they not the ones who blaspheme, blaspheme, that's why we know it's not believers, blaspheme that worthy name, the name of Jesus Christ, by which you were called? So he's reminding them, don't show favoritism towards those that are rich. Uh, some years ago when uh, we were living in, uh, north of Fort Wayne, Indiana and pastoring, I was preaching this same passage. And I almost did this again this morning and I thought, mm, I'll just tell the story instead. Uh, when I got to get up to preach, I was just preaching James chapter 2, verses 1 to 7. Um, as I started to introduce the message, one of our ushers, a guy named Mike, brings a guy who was a doctor, and this guy, I mean, he dressed to the nines. He was in a really sharp Italian suit, looked really sharp, sharp tie, I mean, spit polish shoes, really looked sharp. And he, Mike walks him right down the middle aisle as I'm beginning the sermon. And we had purposely left a spot right here and just sat him right here. And I'm trying to preach, and he's doing this, you know, just here. And he went and got him a pillow and just put it for the back of his seat there, Okay. Well, and I'm saying, Mike, I'm trying to preach here. He says, okay, that's okay. This is Dave Big Bucks. We need to put him right here. And then, as I'm still preaching, one of our guys who was, uh, worked, oversaw our Sunday school was a, a gentleman farmer. He had a farm, and he worked at the toll booth in the, in the um, turnpike. Not very wealthy guy. And, and he actually came in his barn outfit with the boots on and the coveralls and everything, and they brought him, and he came, he just wandered in and came sitting right down here. To which Mike the usher comes down and says, no, we got another place for you in the back. Most of the people in the church didn't know that this was all set up. And I want to tell you, as, as I looked down at people's faces, there were angry people all over. And I just stopped and smiled and I said, folks, you've been set up today. This was all planned. And then I read James chapter 2 and they got the story. Now, we wouldn't do it that way, I hope. But do we show favoritism to people who walk through the door that are wealthy as a church and say, well, think what they could do. Think what they could give. Careful. When you evaluate people based on the dollar sign, you're forgetting 
the Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory, and you're setting yourself up as a judge of other people. Can I remind you that every person that walks through this door matters to God? Every individual that walks through this door, no matter their economic bracket, matters to God. And we must always treat them that way. Friends, you do no service to a person of wealth by treating them in a different way. They don't want to be treated that way. For 14 years, it was my responsibility to travel for a college and raise funds for students. And I spent a lot of time with people of wealth and affluence. Getting to know them, actually, in some ways, having a pastoral relationship with them. And I can tell you, most of those people don't want to be treated differently. And if they did, that was a different issue. Don't show favoritism. And by the way, don't expect to be shown favoritism. Don't expect to be shown favoritism. Been a few times in my ministry when there have been people of affluence that expected that they would have more power and control in the church. And frankly, we had some pretty frank discussions about that. It's unbiblical. So don't compare. Don't show favoritism. It's a warning. Friends, think about this. Why would James, in a very short letter, take seven verses of his letter to address this issue if it wasn't a problem? It is a problem. That's why he addresses it. And it's still a problem in the church today. I remember in one church, I was pastoring, I had a couple come to, to visit our church, sharp couple. They came, and as we often did, we visited in their home afterwards. And they said, there's a reason we came to your church. We were going to another church, and they named it. They said, when we came in the door, because of the way they were dressed and the way they looked, they said, listen, we want you to sit right down front so that the TV, monitor, the TV camera can be on you. They got up and left the church, never to come back. Don't show favoritism. Don't show favoritism because of affluence, wealth, riches. And friend, don't expect that in this church. Should never happen. Should never happen. I want you to, to notice that as he, as he does this, he, he's asked three questions. He said, if you do that, have you not shown partiality? Have you not become judges? Hasn't God, second question, hasn't God chosen the rich poor of this world to be rich in faith? The third question, don't the rich oppress you? And then the exhortation to the, to the biblical standard is given here. He said, if you really fulfill, verse 8, the royal law according to the scripture, you'll love your neighbor as yourself. So he, he now gives this exhortation. He says, remember the law of love that Jesus gave. Jesus was asked, what's the greatest commandment in Matthew 22? He said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might, and love your neighbor as yourself. That's the royal law. He, he's holding those that were showing this kind of preference, favoritism, against the standard of the law of love and saying, don't do that. If you show partiality, verse 9, you're committing sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. In other words, you're violating God's law of love. So friends, don't compare yourself to others, up or down. Don't show favoritism towards those that are wealthy. Don't expect favoritism if you are wealthy. Wrong to do that. I want you to, to then see a, a third warning that he gives to us in chapter 5. Chapter 5. Here James um, is giving a warning, and basically his warning is this. Don't use power to abuse people. 
James, in this point, almost becomes like an Old Testament prophet. And he is, um, he is speaking forth a warning, a woe, a, a judgment from God against rich people who, in this case, I would say are, are not those inside the church, but he, he's speaking to the culture about wealth. Look at what he says. Come now, you rich, and he warns them to weep and howl for the miseries that are coming upon you. Your riches have rotted, your garments are moth-eaten, your gold and silver have corroded, and their corrosion will be evidence against you and will eat your flesh like fire. You have laid up treasure in the last days. Behold, the wages of the laborers who mowed your fields, which you kept back by fraud, they're crying out against you. The cries of the harvesters have reached the ears. Now look at this. Again, a name for God. The Lord of hosts. The Lord of armies. You have lived on the earth in luxury and in self-indulgence. You have fattened your hearts as in a day of slaughter. You have condemned and murdered the righteous person, and he doesn't resist you. So here's a third warning that James gives about riches. But in this case, he's talking directly to landowners who employed common harvesters, common laborers to work their fields. And they were withholding payment that was owed. Remember what I talked about the economy earlier? People lived hand to mouth. They were paid every day. And they could then go to the marketplace and get something to feed their family with. That's how they lived. So when a landowner, a wealthy landowner, withheld from them money, it meant that their family had nothing to eat. And apparently they had done this day after day and by fraud had kept them back. Look at the emotion in this passage. The, those that are abusing others, the, the, far, the, 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 the one who is abusing others, were told to weep and howl in grief because God's judgment is coming on them. The the laborers and the harvesters are crying out. A lot, of, a lot of passion and emotion in this text. And, and what's happening is God is saying, listen, it's not that you were rich that the problem is. It's that you gained your riches by abusing people. By taking unfair, unfair benefit from those that you, were your employees. You weren't taking care of the people who served in your fields. And because of that, he's saying their cry has now come to the Lord of harvest. And God's judgment was already coming on them. He said, your, your riches have rotted. Your garments are moth-eaten. Your gold and silver, they've corroded. And it's going to, it's going to remind you that your treasure is laid up for the last days. And, and this cry from God has come up, and God is going to judge you for this. He said, you've lived in luxury and self-indulgence. You acted as if all of this was yours. But he says, remember, you fattened your hearts as in a day of slaughter. You have condemned and murdered the righteous person. In other words, through bribery, they had actually had injustice done against those who had come to court against them to collect their money. You have actually condemned and murdered righteous people. Friends, what's this talking about? It's saying to us that if you are a person of wealth and you have a financial wherewithal to employ other people, treat them well. 
Do what is fair. Do what is right and do what is just. I remember one guy in a church saying to me, Pastor, I got my Christianity and I've got my business and I don't connect the two. And I say, then you've got a pretty big problem with God. Because God cares about your business. And God cares about how you treat other people. The Bible addresses that in Colossians and Ephesians. Matter of fact, it's an interesting scene in the book of Ruth. You know, um, you know, Boaz wasn't very happy. That's because he was ruthless for part of his life. Think about that. And then he married Ruth. But in that whole story, Boaz comes to his field, and Ruth is there gleaning in the corners of the field. And when Boaz comes to the field, catch this. He says to his harvesters, the Lord bless you, and they respond in kind. In other words, Boaz was such a good employer that when he walked into the field, the men who were working the field blessed him. Though he was a man of wealth, he took care of the people who served him. Just the opposite of what we're seeing here. Jesus told a story about a rich farmer, remember? And in that, in that particular story, he talked about the, the, the reality in Luke chapter 12, verse 16 to 21. He talked about the reality of this farmer who had great success and bumper crops. And he says, listen, I'm going to tear down my barns and build new ones. And to the outside observer, you'd say, man, that's a successful businessman. That wasn't Jesus' response. Jesus said, you fool. Not because he was successful in business, that wasn't the point. But he had no time for God or concern about God. He said, you've stored up all this wealth, but you are not rich towards God. My friend, to ignore the reality spiritually that wealth has greater responsibility for stewardship, both for people and before God, that we need to demonstrate. Now, lest you say, well, boy, this message wasn't for me because I'm not wealthy, I want you to just hear something. In 2017, Americans spent $240 billion in jewelry, watches, books, luggage, and telephones, and other communication devices. That's $240 billion. Somebody's spending that money. During the same time, the population grew only 13%. Spending on personal care products also doubled during that time. Now, to hold all that stuff, we have supersized our houses and storage facilities. Last year, the average size of a single-family home in the U.S. was 2,426 square feet. That's a 23% increase from 20 years ago. And I like this one especially. In two decades ago, there were 26,000 self-storage units around the country. You know how many there are today? 52,000. Why? Because we can't store all the stuff in the house, so we've got to get a storage unit. That's what's happening just in terms of the accumulation of things. Mark A. Cohen, director of retail studies at Columbia University's Graduate School of Business, said, Americans have become a society of hoarders. Of hoarders. Become a society of hoarders. So the Bible gives us some warnings. First warning, don't compare yourself to other people, up or down. Don't do that. Remember that the one who's the creator of everyone and everything, the Alpha and the Omega, is looking at your life differently than that through the lens of eternity. Secondly, 
Don't show favoritism. Why? Because the Lord Jesus Christ is the Lord of glory, and nobody compares to him. Nobody compares to him. My, my friend, I don't care how much wealth anybody has. Don't be impressed with that. Be impressed with Jesus because he is the Lord of glory. And he deserves our praise. And thirdly, don't abuse wealth, especially to abuse other people. Sometimes wealth brings power. Be careful how you wield that power and the way you treat others. It's a huge responsibility. It's a huge responsibility. I want to I end this time by having you turn with me to one other passage of Scripture that I'm just going to read. And I've given some notes there for further study because this is a topic that I think we need to think biblically about and deeply about. So turn as we close to 1 Timothy chapter 6. I promise you this is not message 2, okay? But I want to read this passage as we close the message. 1 Timothy chapter 6, beginning at verse 10. Actually, we'll begin at, um, we're going we're to begin at verse 6. He's talking about false teachers before this, and some of these false teachers that in verse 5 are deprived concerning the truth. Imagine that godliness is a means of gain, financial gain. But he says, but godliness with contentment is great gain. Be grateful and satisfied for what God has given to you. Why? For we brought nothing into the world. Baby's born with no material possessions, and we can take nothing out of the world. You'll never see a hearse pulling a U-Haul. But if we have food and clothing, with these we'll be content. Food to eat, clothing to wear. But those who desire to be rich and make that their goal can fall into temptations and a snare into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money, it doesn't say money, but the love of money is a root of all kinds of evils. For through this craving, some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves through with many pangs. But he contrasts that in saying, but as for you, O man of God, instead of running after money, run after these, flee these things and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, steadfastness, and gentleness. Verse, um, after talking then about Christ as the King of kings and the, the Lord and sovereign, the one who dwells in inapproachable in, in light, verse 16, he again addresses the rich. And he says, for the rich in this present age charge them, he's talking to believers who are wealthy, not to be haughty, don't be proud. Don't set their hope on the uncertainty of riches, but on God who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. Remember, everything you have comes from him. And thus storing up treasures for themselves as a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of that which is truly life, real life. My friend, we all have stewardship responsibilities for what God's entrusted to us. Whether you consider yourself rich or not, we're all responsible for what God has entrusted. You can be impoverished and love money, be discontent, be chasing after the wrong things. You can be wealthy and love money and be proud and be chasing after the wrong things. Don't do that. Jesus Christ changes all of that. His gospel changes all of that. It adjusts our values towards eternity. He says, you know what? 
my identity and my value and worth aren't wrapped up in how much money I have. That's a responsibility. Like my friend said, it's complicated. But it's who you are in Christ. It's whether you're trusting in Him, whether you're giving Him the glory. Because when you remember that, you're laying hold of what is really life, Paul says. Real life. So please don't look at people that are wealthy and say they must be suspect. But don't look down at people that aren't and say, yeah, if they did what I did. It's not that easy, friend. It's a complex biblical issue that we need to think about biblically. And we need to recognize Jesus Christ, the Lord Jesus Christ is the Lord of glory. He's the Lord of hosts. He's the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. And everything we are and everything we have comes from him. Father, help us to think biblically. Help us to have your wisdom. Help eternity to shape our values. May we see everything you've entrusted to us as a stewardship to love you and to love others. May we not be impressed with wealth alone, but with godliness. May we not judge others. May we walk in humility before you. Grant us contentment, faithfulness, and stewardship. And may we remember that you are the Lord of glory. That to you belong all of the riches of heaven and earth. And have you entrusted some to us? Help us to be responsible to love you and love others. Lord, I pray that no matter who walks through the doors of this church, no matter whether they're wealthy or poor, they will be loved by our people here who look beyond the economics to a person who matters to God. For it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.